and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I want us to open up our Bibles to Isaiah 58. Are you okay? Good. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. I want you to open up your Bible. If you got to do it with your phone, do it with your phone, whatever you got to do. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to walk through Isaiah 58 together. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying to us as a people. Say, it's for me. It's for me. It's not just for upper leadership. It's not just for those that are hungry or those that, oh, well, he's passionate. He's going to do that. It's for me. And so I want to let you know I'm going into this fast not trying to put any yoke on anyone or say, you're doing this and you should be better. I believe this is a corporate journey the Lord is leading us on. I I believe that the Lord has so much more for you. I don't care if you're a part of this house or the way church or you're watching us online, the Lord has more for you. And if you're looking at what's going on in the world, there's one or two ways to tackle what's happening before us. Either we can go inward and we can get worried or give ourselves to anxiety or give ourselves to fear, whatever you want to do. Or you can choose this. The days are darker, which means we shine brighter. It is a divine opportunity for us to be the bride of Christ, not to point our fingers, not to shame, not to shame or to condemn, but to lead people to the bread of life. This is what the Lord is doing. He's giving us a fresh perspective. And he's calling us up. Every time the worship team sings that up, 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 I begin to weep. Because it's more than just cute words. It's more than just something we're singing because it sounds good. It is the reality of what God is calling us into. We refuse to stay stagnant. We refuse to accept what the agenda the world is pushing on us. And I rebuke even the agenda of the church. I believe God has called us to build in a different way and to build better. And so we exist to introduce people to a living God and to a holy family. And we will not compromise. We will not compromise because we believe that righteousness is our inheritance through him. Like, well, I don't feel righteous. Join the club. We're on this journey of allowing the Lord to transform us by the way we think, by the way we speak, and by the way we act. We will not be a people that give God lip service, but live our lives a different way. No. The way our light shines is they see a people who live a certain way, which opens up the door for us to speak. The approach of the church is we want to speak and we want to live a different way. But I want to tell you, ministry becomes very, very, very simple. When you live a certain way, it gives you access to the life of the people. There's just something about living a life that's consecrated, where joy becomes your strength, where righteousness becomes your bedrock, where your foundation and your hope is not founded in a country or a president or your money. I'm going to fall on something. But where you live from an eternal perspective. And that's what I have thought. I have so many people this week. How do you feel about what's going on in the country? And how should we respond? You look up. You look up. If the more you watch TV and the more you scroll on Facebook, the more something is being stirred within you, I want to tell you your attention is being, you are distracted. Well, what about my place on the wall? What about your place on the wall? If your place on the wall is to promote an agenda that makes you feel right, that's not your place on the wall. 
feisty. <laughs> Judah says that to me, Daddy, you're feisty. But the call for us is to stop living in this place and to go up higher and see things from an eternal perspective. If from that place the Lord has you release and bind and loose, that's great. As long as you do it in the name of love. If you can't do it through love, then we don't do it. So I want us to dive into Isaiah 58 very quickly, and I'm going to walk us verse 1 through 12. And I want us to see that there is a right way to approach the Lord. I want us to see that we can be doing all the right things, but if we're doing them with the wrong motives, we're still wrong. I believe that what God is calling us into is more of an inward expression than an outward one. I love an outward expression. I love standing up here and seeing people respond to the Lord. And I love seeing their hearts melt. And I love seeing them even for the first time lift up their hands. But what I really, really want for you is for your inward expression to match your outward. I want what's going on because I know, I know what it's like to come into a service and be singing songs with everything inside of you, but your heart doesn't connect. There's a disconnection there. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to connect our head to our heart where we can walk the full expression of Jesus Christ on the earth. So I want us to go Isaiah 58 verse 1 says this, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, shout aloud, do not be timid. So there is a proclamation that is to be released. It's to awaken the people. It's how we started today. Awake, wake up. Because too many people are asleep. Too many people are in a lull. They're just going through the motions of life. And it's like this trumpet sound. Wake up. Where your spirit comes alive and you realize, what have I been doing? What have I been giving myself to? And this is what he's saying. Wake up. Tell the people of Israel of their sins. They act so pious. They act so religious. They act like they have it all together. It's like everything on the outside looks good. They come to my temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Do you see this? I want you to catch this. They're doing all the right things. I mean, you look at the book of Revelations, chapter 2, chapter, you see that there are churches in the end times. They're doing all the right things. Why am I saying this? Because I don't want us to fall into this trap. What happens at Abide, the, 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 the downfall of this, of this tribe will never be, did we stop being passionate? It will never be, did we stop contending? Did we not stop? Did we stop? It will never be that. What will trip us up and stop us from reaching the fullness of Christ is how did we steward our hearts? Were we honest? Were we vulnerable? What was the motive of why we gave our lives to that? And it doesn't have to be ministry. I just want to ask you in your life, what have you given your heart to? My wife and, and the pastor Tyler are on the stage declaring, we dethrone every lesser lover. And you can feel the tension in the room. You could feel because sometimes we say that proclamation, but for some people that means a 401k. For some people that means a job. For some people that means, you, you understand what I'm saying? For, for a lot of us that can mean a lot of different things, but when we make that proclamation and we release that into the atmosphere, heaven says amen. The only amen that's missing is yours. When you make a proclamation and heaven says amen, the only thing that's missing on your behalf is action to that word. The amen of the heart does not come through word, it comes through deed. 
How do I know if somebody has truly received the word of the Lord? Not, not when they say it, when they act it. When they begin to live their life in a different way, I know the amen has gone from here to here. And it has empowered them. And so he's speaking to these people. And he's saying, they asked me to take action on the behalf. They pretend they want to be near. Verse 3, they have fasted before you. We have fasted before you, they say. Then they say to the Lord, why are you not impressed? It's like, Lord, do our deeds not move you? We're doing more, but we see you doing less. It's like they don't understand. We have been very hard on ourselves, and, and you don't even notice it. This is the trap of religion. Lord, I'm doing, and I'm doing, and I'm doing, and why? And it's just a bunch of doo-doo. Everywhere. And you're like, God, why? I don't understand. Back to the heart. Then he says, I tell you why. The Lord is responding to their request. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Oh. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing the workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. It might get you somewhere on the earth. It might get you social status. It might bring you wealth, but with the Lord, it will bring you nowhere. You understand that there are things on the earth that can be, that can be given to you that are not from the Lord? And we begin to name those as blessings from the Lord, but what they're doing is they're stopping us from stepping in. I'm telling you the truth. John 15 is very clear. He prunes every branch. Meaning there were things in one season in my life that used to produce fruit, but they must be severed in order for me to step in. Thank you. One amen, Sean. Me and you, bro. They must be severed. And he's saying the reason I cannot bless you is because you have come into agreement with the lesser reality. You, you have come into agreement with something that I did not give and you have named it the Lord. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. So he says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. You bow your heads low like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap. You cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you think this will really please the Lord? I want you to see that everything in these scriptures were outward. Their bowing was outward. They put ashes on themselves as a sign of mourning. Look at me. Look at me. They dressed in burlap. Everything on the outside looked right. And then he goes in verse 6 and he begins to describe to them the kind of fasting that he wants. And I want us to catch this. Because you can go through these next 21 days doing all the right things. But if you don't have the right motive... And here's what will happen. We'll come in here, the 29th, the 30th, the 31st, and we'll see people getting wrecked by the Lord, and then we'll become bitter with him, not understanding. We will embody. We have fasted. Why are you not impressed? We have acted. Why are you not moving? Do you get this? Are you alive? Verse 6. No, this is the kind of fast I want, that you free those who are wrongly imprisoned, and that you lighten the burden of those who work for you. That you would let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. 
that you would share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless, that you give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. He's saying the reason that I'm not able to bless you, the reason that you cannot receive what you're wanting, what you're seeking is because you've made all of it about you. I want you to notice that the Lord is engaging the people and none of the, this is what a fast looks like that comes from him is about you. I would that you would give yourself that, that the oppressed, what would it look like if for the next 21 days we said, you know what, I'm just going to hone in on this. Every time I see someone oppressed by depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, I'm going to trust Holy Spirit to use me to set them free. You see, this is practical. What if, what if every time that I, that I pass a homeless person, I'm not going to try to judge what they're going to do with the money. I'm just going to give them the money. This is hard for us because we've become judge. God says give, and we're like, well, I'll give when I think that it's right to give. That's not what he said. That we would see people, this is, that we would see people through his eyes. And that we would make it our, for the next 21 days, Lord, I'm not going to eat, and it's going to suck. But I'm going to use that to motivate me, to motivate me to see people the way that you see them. I, I'm not going to make my life about me and I'm not going to build monuments unto myself and I'm not going to try to gain, gain for the next 20 I just want to be an offering that is poured out. I want to give myself to the people around me. I want, to, I want to help people release the burden and the yoke that has been placed on them. Oh, every person in the world, they want a king like Jesus. Jesus is the easiest thing in the world when he is displayed rightly to receive. I've never met anyone who has met Jesus, the real Jesus, not the American Jesus, not the yoke of religion. I've never met anyone who has not met the real Jesus and not said, oh, yes, it's everything I ever wanted. I've never seen it. And when a people, they catch this heart, the next like four verses, all of it is then. So as we give ourselves, we say, I reject religiosity and I reject selfish ambition and motive and I give myself to the broken. This is what happens. Then, say then. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Here's what I know about the dawn. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can pray as long as you want, hard as you want. Six o'clock in the morning, the dawn is coming. As I give myself to others, salvation, wholeness, wholeness, it comes to me like the dawn. And your wounds will heal quickly. Do you understand this promise? These are promises for us to step into fullness. Our staff, this week, we took a full night just to talk about this chapter. What would it look like if as a church we embodied, we renounced and we rejected the religiosity and the selfishness of American culture and we gave ourselves for the world? What would happen? What would happen? Our salvation would come like the dawn and healing would come quickly. What more do we need? The soul of our nation is sick. People think that voting a person is going to heal the nation. It will not. It will not. It will not. What will heal a nation is a people that stop making their lives about themselves and they choose to give themselves. 
they set themselves apart and they say, I choose to fall into the trap of comfort. Oh, it's quiet. I must be doing good. They, they, they reject the comfort and the yoke and the religion and the cycles and rounding the same mountains over and over and thinking just because more people show up, we're doing a good job. Just because we sing really loud and there's this moment, oh, we're doing so great. I'll know we've reached the fullness of Christ when we see the broken and it breaks us. When we begin to understand that we are solutions to people's problems. Your wounds will heal click quickly and your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Do you hear that? Do you, do you, do you understand? Okay, Steve, Boot, can you come up here real quick? I'm going to use Boot in the front because he's bigger. Come up here. I want you to see this so you can remember it. You can come up here, bro. These are my armor bearers. You better watch out. One's big and one has a staff. This is dangerous. So as we make our lives not about us, I want you to understand what happens to you. The godliness, you can turn around, bro. Yeah, you can flex a little bit too, bro. The godliness of the Lord, it goes before you. Righteousness, purity, you're trying so hard. You're trying so hard to be righteous. As I take my eyes off of Geo and I fix my eyes on him and I give myself from the Lord, godliness goes before me and his glory goes be behind me. Do you understand the, the power? Did we just read over this? Oh, wow, that's really good. Wow. No. Godliness goes, that means there's nothing that can stand in my way. No demon, no, no adversity, no lack, no doubt. His godliness goes before me. And his glory goes behind me. I'm completely covered. Thank you, guys. You guys did so good. Give him a hand. Did you, did, you, did you see that? Because this is your inheritance. This is who you are. You are covered. You are covered by the Lord. Oh, I don't feel that. You, well, you need to come into a new agreement. You need to come into a new agreement and understanding of who you are. Godliness leads you and glory surrounds you. It goes behind you. Oh, then when you call, the Lord will answer quickly. He will say, yes, I am here. Then he says this, remove the heavy yoke of oppression and stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Yeah. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression, period. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. I want us to see this. This is important. I want you to see that, that the Bible ties the yoke of oppression to what comes out of your mouth. Want to let that sit for a second. 
Because many of us, in one, in one word, in one sentence, we're, we're speaking life and prophesying life. And in the next, we're putting yokes of oppression on people. Last Monday, I was spending time with the Lord, and, and the Lord said this to me. And then I watched the video, which almost said the exact same thing. He said, Geo, the tactic of the enemy is to destroy. If the enemy could have killed you, he already would have. There is no mercy in him. There is no mercy in him. That's why you need to understand godliness goes before you and glory goes behind you. It's him who sustains you. You are here because of him. The enemy comes to destroy. And he destroys through division. He divides through offense. I want to make it very, there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop what God is doing here. There's, no, there's nothing. He can't threaten me. Our pulpit's not for sale. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do except divide and conquer. To begin to sow little seeds. Oh, I don't belong. They don't really love me. Oh, I, I, just, I just don't know how I fit in. And I'm offended because they worship a little too long and I don't. Just little seeds. Little seeds. And what the Bible's telling us is stop speaking death and pointing fingers. And what will happen as we stop is the yoke of oppression will literally come off. What would it look like to be a part of a church where no matter how dysfunctional the person walked through the doors was, we only saw God in them? What would that look? You understand this? We will cover people's weaknesses and we will champion their strengths. This is what God is trying to build. He's trying to build something different where we see people through his perspective. So stop pointing fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. He makes it tangible. We sat in a circle and we were talking about this scripture. And, and, and when we went into the conversation, we began to talk and we said, we're not really that good at this. We're really good at the worship thing and the adoration and we could do that for two hours. We could have kept going today and we all would have been fine. But part of what God is speaking to us is we need to be a little bit more missional. But here's what's funny. As we began to share about the scripture, everybody began to start sharing around the circle. And for about an hour and a half, people started sharing testimonies of how God had used them. And God reminded us that the only way this works is if we destroy the vehicle of the church having to do everything and it becomes a part of our life. We're going to dismantle this. If the only time you do outreach is when we ask you at 10 a.m. to come on a Sunday, then we're missing it. So we began to share, and one of the people was talking about how they went into Walmart. And when they went into Walmart, there was three gentlemen standing outside, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, speak to them. I don't remember the full story, but I know how it goes for me. Sometimes I walk right past, I'm like, devil, I rebuke you. Devil, God would never ask me to do that. It's uncomfortable. Never ask me to do that. But it was so funny because the Holy Spirit kept speaking to them to go that way. And so here's what they didn't do. They didn't just show up and go, God sent me here. Here I am. They just walked up and like, hey, can I buy you something? Like, do you need something? Are you hungry? And then they took them on a shopping spree. I want to make this tangible for you. Because I want you to see that $50 could probably change someone's life. They bought them groceries. They just, 
They probably hadn't been seen in so long. Somebody stopped and saw them and wasn't trying to peddle Jesus to them. Nobody wants you to peddle something to them. They want to know they're seen. Let the drug dealers do the peddling. We'll rebuke him. They saw them. And so by the end of the little shopping spree, they began to speak about Jesus. All three, before they even said, do you want to accept? They're like, yes. You understand the world is hungry for love. And when they see Christ represented rightly, they will accept him. They will accept him. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from darkness. That's what we were talking about. The days grow darker. Things get worse. We shine brighter. The hope of the Lord becomes easier for us to give a hope that is unshakable. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. There's another promise. Well, brother, I'm just in a wilderness season. I'm just, I feel dry. I want to ask you, have you made your life all about you? That's why I journal. People think I journal. I journal because what, what happens when I put a pen to paper is it exposes the innermost parts of who I am. If, if, I, if I approach the piece of paper vulnerably, and I read back, I'm like, wow, that's a lot about me and a little about him. <laughs> you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. This is who you are. Say, this is who I am. This is who you are. Stop believing the lie that there's a, anointed people and not anointed people. You are anointed by Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry. You you, and I love this, this is like this to me is where I feel like what God is doing in Lithia right now. I want you to I'll underline it, highlight it, because you're going to look back a year from now and say, yeah, he was right. I'm telling you, I feel it so strong. Verse 12, in the name of Jesus. Hey, verse 12 in the back, help me out, bro. You can do it. There it is. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Some of you will be known as restore the rebuilder of walls and the restorer of homes. Man, when I read that, I said, Lord, would you, would that be what marks abide? Not all, oh, man, they, their worship is great. We're not all, oh, man, they got... They got so many speakers that are anointed. But that people were saying, man, when that church came into that community, they went into the broken parts of the wall, the breaches, the places where people were exposed, the places where people kept falling and tripping. And he said, we will rebuild right here. Are you seeing it? I need you to see, I need you to see it. That they went, they, went into the, they went into the walls and they became restorers of homes. We've been saying for the long time, revival is not going to fall in a building. It's going to fall in homes. I don't know when we're going to get it. It's going to fall in homes. And so I'll end here. My spiritual father came to, 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 to our gathering, and he began to speak to us about Absalom. 
Absalom was one of David's sons. And I, and I want you to see, I want you to understand, I'll tell you in the beginning where I'm going so you can see it. I want you to see that you can be doing the right things with the right wrong motives and it will lead to destruction. David had become king and he had all these sons. And there was a younger son, a firstborn son who had a sister. And it says that Absalom had become in love with his sister, Tamar. And a long story short, he... Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to see if you're paying attention. So Absalom's sister was Tamar. You guys are right. You okay? I'm, I'm okay. And so Tamar gets raped. And people say, oh, that's what's happening to people in our world every day. There are people in churches right now that are being spiritually raped. They're being abused and hurt. And there are people that are preaching a Jesus that becomes a burden. And they don't see him as lover. They see him as dictator. So Tamar, was, she was raped. And what this did in Absalom is it created bitterness in him. And he wanted David to give justice for his sister. But David was too busy doing his own thing. And so for two years, four years, I don't remember, it was one of those two, I think it was two years, two. He let this resentment grow on the inside of him. And it pushed him to this place where he began to think, I will be a better king than my father. And he begins to wait at the front gate in the morning and listen to the people. He begins to hear their needs and say, if only there was a person who can listen to you. I want you to see this because this is what happens to us when we give ourselves to offense and bitterness is we begin to play God. Some of us, we've looked at our lives and we thought God should have responded in this way. And you've waited, and because God didn't respond the way you thought he should, you thought, I'll just take matters into my own hands. So there you are trying to play God, trying to make things happen. He leads a rebellion. David has to flee. All of these things happen, but ultimately it ends in this. He was killed. The Bible says that he stole the hearts of his father, who was king. He stole the hearts of the king. And when I read that, I thought, God, how long has that been happening in the church? How long have we been stealing the hearts of people from Jesus, trying to point them to us? Do you see this? Do you see this? I need you to see it. And at the end of this scripture, it says this. During his, during his lifetime, this is 1 Samuel 18, 18. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. For he said, I have no sons to carry my name. I want to connect this to you and I want you to understand. The people that Isaiah 58 are describing, 
the fruit of those people that have made their lives all about them and their religiosity and their doing will be left with no one to give an inheritance to. Something I burn for is that this, what God is doing here, this movement would not die with us. But that we would be a people that would be thinking ahead. I need you to understand the framework we build today will be what we live in tomorrow. What we're, what we're speaking now, we won't see it until a year from now. Because it takes time for the seed to go in and for it to take root and to come up. But the fruit of us giving our lives only to ourselves and looking inward is we will have no sons and daughters. All we'll have is a monument unto ourselves. That's why there's a church every 0.5 miles. The people who started there did not go in trying to build something unto themselves. It never starts here. It never starts with us saying, I'm going to do it for me. What happens is a little bit of offense and a little bit of distraction and a little bit of pride. And then we find ourselves building monuments unto ourselves, stealing the hearts of the king from the king. And make no mistake, there's only one king. There's only one. So here's what I want us to do. Can we stand? Hey, Covey, you want to come up, bro? Please. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear this. I want you to close your eyes so you're not distracted. <sighs> Jesus, Yeshua, he did not die for a church, for a ministry, a doctrine, a denomination. He died for a bride. He died for a bride. Last year I had a dream. And in the dream I was in the parable of the foolish virgins. And as I realized in the dream where I was, I ran up to the foolish virgins and I would begin to shake them. I would shake them and I would shake them and I would lift them up and say, wake up. The bridegroom is coming. And they would open their eyes and look at me and fall right back into their slumber. And with, ah, it was a desperation inside of me because I knew what was about to happen to them. And as I think about that parable, I, I ask myself, I wonder where they left their oil. parable of the foolish virgins, it wasn't unsaved versus saved. They were all believed. They were all waiting for the bridegroom. They were all there for the same ambition, the same, the same, the same purpose. But I asked myself, what did they waste their oil on? That when their bridegroom came, they had nothing to give. 
I ask you this morning, what are you giving your oil to? What, what are you giving your time to? What, what are you opening up your heart to and allowing to dominate your emotions and your soul and your ambitions, your motives? I believe right now, right now, is a moment for the Lord to purify that. And I believe there are people in the room that they've given themselves, it's like their oil, they've given themselves even to righteous ambitions. You're doing it because you think it's right. It's noble, it's just. But I want to tell you the bridegroom is coming and your lamp is running low. I want to shake you. And I want to tell you, find more oil. Find more oil. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to make a call. And what I saw when I was praying this morning was people responding. And just coming forward and saying, Lord, I'm here. Would you fill me? Listen to me, no pastor can give you oil. No pastor, it's a lie. If you hear it, run. It's a lie. The only one who can give oil is Holy Spirit. And the only thing Holy Spirit does is he leads us to Jesus. And Jesus reveals the Father. It's not hard. But it will take humility and it will take somebody saying, you know what? I don't care what I look like. I don't care what people think. I'm not going to find myself with my oil running low. I want to tell you, one of the quickest things that will rob your oil is ministry. It will rob your oil and you'll think you're okay because you're doing it for the Lord. So Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray right now that there would be honesty and vulnerability. Honesty, vulnerability. And Father, that you would speak to every heart. And Lord, I saw this morning empty containers ready to be filled. And God, here's what I know. You are good. There's never a moment where we approach you that we don't receive. So, Father, today I ask that every person would receive what they need from you, Lord. And that today would not be about any one touch of man, but that it would be about a surrendered people coming boldly into the throne room of grace where we find you. I'm going to ask if that's you today to just make your way out of your seat and find a place. And let's just wait before the Lord. And let's just allow him to fill us. You want to come up? You guys, Tyler, you can let guys come get us up.